The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week is every week we're working hard to get you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And if not having to pay taxes on the income from your flipping rental or note business would would go a long way toward helping the success of that business. You're going to want to listen in on today's show where we are not going to teach you how to be a tax cheat, but rather teach you how to do deals in an IRS, IRS legal Congress approved way through your self-directed IRA or retirement plan. And you know who my guest is going to be today because he is nationally recognized, not just by ordinary investors like you and me, but even by IRA custodians and experts as being the top IRA attorney in the country. He's been practicing since 1995, but has really gotten into the business of IRA law over the course of the past four or five years. He is, of course, John Heyer, and he's joining us by phone from his home near Columbus, Ohio. John, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Glad to be here. And John, I should I should mention for listeners that because I am in Germany as they are listening to this, it is a pre-recorded show, which unfortunately means we won't be able to take questions from the audience. But you've been doing this long enough now that I think you probably know all the questions that they're already going to ask. So uh, just listeners, just sit back, enjoy the show. There won't be any phone numbers or emails given out today because, uh, unfortunately, we're recording this a couple of weeks before it's actually running. So, um, John, I want to I want to start with with this because um, being an attorney and having seen some really bad stuff happen to people in regards to what they were doing in their IRAs, you tend to be you tend to be focused on you know, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. But let, so let's start out with like the good part of this. Like you have worked with a lot of clients now, many of whom are literally IRA millionaires. They have a million dollars or more in their self-directed retirement plan. Can you, can you talk about kind of what those possibilities are in the real world for people? You can run almost any kind of investment or business through an IRA or a 401k or its kissing cousins, HSAs and Coverdales, you can run almost any investment or business through it. Now, there are a set of rules you have to follow, but we've seen people do this with rentals, with notes, with lending, uh, with buy and flip properties, 
ongoing businesses, active businesses like a Dairy Queen or you name it. The, the, the list of things you can't do in terms of what kind of business is really short. Now, the culture of IRAs, as you, you know, is heavily small business and especially real estate people. So we see an awful lot of real estate. And pretty much, if it can be done in real estate, it can probably be done in an IRA. Mm-hmm. Didn't you tell me a story about a, a client in, in northeastern Ohio where properties aren't super high priced and the rents aren't super high <laughs> that basically had so many rentals that he'd acquired in his IRA over the years that he was like set for life? So one gentleman, what he did was he had enough in his IRA to probably go buy five rentals. And we're talking Akron, Canton type stuff. So probably $20,000 at that time, all in rehab and everything, 600 bucks a month. Those have gone up since then. He could have bought about five or six of those free and clear in his IRA. And instead what he did, he borrowed. A lot of people don't realize that IRAs can borrow. You have to be careful. Again, there there are always the rules and so forth. But he borrowed and managed to pay them off in fairly short order. Uh, I think he's got about 50 of them in his Roth IRA. He's over 60. And if I do the math, that's roughly 250 grand a year tax-free for his life and the next generation as well. Nice. That's nice. When you when, when, when you get when you get to sixty and you're like social security, I don't need no stinking social security. I mean that that he he may not have been super affluent during his working career because I think that's what we mostly see with IRA investors is that they're just kind of normal middle income earners who are smart enough to suck away a little bit of money and then do deals in their IRA and then when they are ready to retire instead of taking a cut in income they actually get an increase. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely our crowd. Millionaire next door types. Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you wouldn't know by looking at them until you look at their financials. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, Drew and I have a um, have a, a, a joke that if you want to find the richest guy in your RIA group, look for the one who's driving a 1974 pickup truck and wearing paint spattered overalls. And makes you buy his lunch. And <laughs> makes you buy his lunch. That's right. Which is well worth doing because he has a lot of interesting things to say about uh, how you can get rich in real estate. So do you think it is achievable for someone who's just getting started with an IRA or, or a 401k or whatever to, in in fairly short order, get that thing big enough that real estate investments are a possibility. Because I mean, even if you're borrowing money, usually when you borrow money in a in a plan like this, you can get like fifty cents on the dollar as a loan. Or of course, you can flip properties, but then you got to have money to fix them too. So I mean, do do, do I have to have started this at thirteen to have any hope of retiring with that kind of money? Well, a couple thoughts. Um, one, when you borrow from private people, the terms are more liberal. Now, you have to be able to make the most of those terms. So the first question is, are you any good at business? If you're not good at business, get good at business, be it rentals or flips or whatever, and then do it in the IRA. Using the IRA as a practice ground for something you've never done is probably not a good idea. <laughs> but if you're pretty good at getting the deals, A, I would cherry pick and put the best ones in there. Uh, people will lend at much better than a 40 or 60% ratio you can partner with people. There are a number of ways to get money in there. Let's bear in mind, too, that if you do have, let's say, an outside income and you can contribute money, you can combine it with a 401k or a SEP plan, which are like IRAs. They're very similar. 
but the contribution limits are much higher if you have the money to contribute. So there are a number of ways that we've seen people in fairly short order turbocharge these accounts. It's doable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So folks who have, have heard about IRA investing, and because I meet a lot of these, like they, they heard about it at their REA group or they talked to somebody who's doing it, but they're, they're, they, they sort of feel like, well, unless I can make a $13,000 contribution to my 401k this year, I shouldn't even bother to learn about this, are just not understanding how it works. Now, if you can find a cherry deal, I think you've experienced this in your investing career. If you can find a cherry deal, someone will come up with the money. And again, are there rules and you have to do it a certain way so you don't screw it up? Well, of course, the government imposes rules. It's what they do. But within those rules, there's a lot of ability that if the deal's there, the money will appear, especially now. People are in search of yield and are willing to partner with you or your IRA if, if you've got the deal. They want some yield. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My my guest today is attorney John Heyer, and we're talking about doing deals in your self-directed plan. I we all kind of, we all kind of say IRA, but it could be a 401k, it could be a SEP plan, it could be a, a Coverdale Education Savings Account, it could be a uh, health savings account. And we're going to talk about some of the things that you need to really, 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 really watch out for before you approach a deal like this right after we get back from this break. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is John Heyer. I would be remiss if I did not mention that John is teaching an all-day seminar on Thursday, November the 1st as part of the National Real Estate Investing Summit here in Cincinnati, sponsored by OREA, and you should uh, really consider coming to that, both because it's incredibly inexpensive and also because um, John's there, and also 15 other really awesome speakers. Uh, you don't often get the chance to see John speak in an all-day type of situation. So if you're somebody who's been thinking, you know, I need to do this, but I probably ought to learn the rules first, that would be a good place to do it. Uh, we, of course, only have, you know, 48 minutes here together on the radio. So we're just going to try and hit some high points and make sure that nobody runs out and starts trying to do deals in their IRAs without the proper protection in place. So, um, John, having now done a number of defenses of people's IRAs where they got audited and the IRS dragged them into court or into a, a hearing and said, explain yourself, can you talk about some of the some of the top, top things, mistakes that people are kind of inadvertently making that are that are getting their IRAs disallowed? They're learning a lot on the Internet because everything on the Internet is true. And because they're armed with Internet information, they don't seek other advice because they know everything. That's the font of the mistakes. What are the actual mistakes that we're seeing themselves? Some of them are pretty basic. You know, We saw a very sophisticated family with each about $2 million in each of their Roth IRAs blow up five multimillion-dollar IRAs because they made a loan from the IRAs. It was five IRAs, the father and the four kids. The four kids' IRAs made a loan to the father's IRA. That's what's called a prohibited transaction. It blows up the IRA. That's a 101 type of deal. They can get pretty subtle. Um, We see real estate investors working 
in their IRA, you know, doing rehab work, managing properties, that kind of thing. That's a problem. Uh, we see conflict of interest deals where people use the IRA to, to make a personal benefit for themselves, maybe get in a deal where they couldn't have gotten in personally and they needed a little bit more money. So they brought the IRA in the deal to put them over the top. So things like that are, are what we see. Okay, so so let's 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 um, unpack those a little bit. Where is the line with personally doing work on stuff with your IRA? Because um, there's there's just a certain amount of stuff that is required to keep real estate up and running. And let me let me let me let me give you an example. If my IRA owns a deal, and it's a rental. And in the middle of the night, the tenant calls and says, there's water gushing out of my ceiling. Am I not allowed to go over there and shut off the water because that would be providing a benefit to my IRA? The law is not clear, unfortunately. What the law says is if you provide a quote-unquote service to your IRA, the IRA dies. However, they never defined what's a service. Is it showing up in the middle of the night to shut off the water? Is it managing a tenant, taking applications? We just don't know until the IRS goes after it. Now, so far, the IRS hasn't gone after it. One day they probably will. My understanding from talking to agents is that people make so many basic mistakes. They're making so much money off of simple stuff like lending your parents money from your IRA that they haven't gone after the complex stuff. So we don't know where the line is. And I'm in this respect, I advise people to be more conservative. Don't go near the line. Uh, hire someone to do those things. But some people say, you know what, we're going to take the risk. And I'm like, well, you're an adult. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so where, is, where is the bright line? Because I know that I know there's there are things that if if I came to you and said, John, here's what I am proposing doing with the property in my IRA, you'd be like, uh, no, like I won't defend you if you. Yeah, in, <laughs> informal informally, from what talks there have been with the IRS and the Department of Labor who have authority over this, uh, they've made very clear that if you quote unquote swing a hammer, if they caught it, that would be a problem. So if you're over there helping with the rehab, that would clearly be a problem. I suppose the gray area is managing tenants or telling contractors who do swing a hammer what to do. So the gray area is telling them what to do. The black area is you're actually doing it mm -hmm. in terms of physical labor mm -hmm. and, you and certainly paying yourself from it. That's a, that's also black and white. If you pay yourself from your IRA, you just killed your IRA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and let's uh, let let's let's actually back up a second because it occurs to me you you've said repeatedly blow up your IRA, kill your IRA. Let's let's put it out there what happens when that happens because people might be going, ah, so what? I have to take my money out. So there are two sets of rules that you have to know with IRAs. It's, it's the cost of this awesome benefit. The benefit is insane. If you do the net present value on not paying taxes, I actually have a spreadsheet that does it. It's in the millions, easily. The thing you have to know is don't do A, prohibited transactions. You have to know those rules perfectly well. That's what blows up your IRA. If you do a prohibited transaction, the IRA ceases to exist, the assets come out, they get taxed, penalized, no longer grow tax-free. The other set of rules, which I'm sure you'll bring up at some point, is what's called UBIT, unrelated business income tax. You've got to know those rules cold. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm making a note to myself, bring up UBIT. <laughs> okay, so um, 
you got the you got the direct violations that involve doing things with people that the IRS says you can't do things with, which is right. yourself, your parents, your children. Um, I understand that that line doesn't extend sideways. Like I can do deals with my brother or sister. Well, it's it's suspicious to the IRS. It's financial incest, but it's legal financial incest. So it's not a prohibited transaction for your IRA to do business with your brother or sister. But the IRS will look at the transaction more closely. They're always suspicious when family does business with entities or IRAs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's the there's the potential providing of services to your IRA, which is a big no-no. And you said that the third thing was... Oh, using the IRA to benefit yourself in any way. Yeah, and, and that's kind of gray that, and mushy. It is that one. That one always confuses me because it, it, number one, my IRA is supposed to benefit me, but but number two, the, the benefit doesn't apparently doesn't have to be like a cash benefit. For instance, um, I know that a big no-no is doing something like buying a property in Florida and then staying in it when you don't have tenants in it. But exactly. what are some what are some other examples of things that would do that? Um, partnering with yourself using like let's say you have ninety thousand dollars and there's a deal for a hundred and you can't do the deal you just can't you don't have the money and your IRA has got twenty grand so it comes in the deal as a partner it allows you into the deal that's an example more subtle examples instead of just you staying in the property any disqualified person like your kids or spouse well how about this. Your boss from your W-2 job stays in there, and because he stays there, he likes you more and helps you at work. Mm. That's a personal benefit. So you have to think in a kind of a squirrely way of what could be viewed as a personal benefit. Now, obviously, they don't mean when it ultimately distributes money to you, that's a personal benefit, but that's a designed one. You're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just you're not supposed to, while the IRA is growing, you're not supposed to use its assets for you. And I think your your example of the condo in Florida is a perfect one. You just got to think now, what else could be viewed as a benefit? And the IRS, remember, you have the burden of proof to prove there's no benefit. So you really don't want to go real close to the line. You don't want to do anything that even looks funny from that standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about, um, it, it seems like there's been an increasing number of recent decisions court decisions about IRAs that are starting to clarify things with us maybe maybe that's just because I'm on your email list and so when one happens you send out like a detailed analysis of what's going on but if we could discuss a couple of those because they've actually been positive some of them for IRA holders uh, we will be back right after this Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, here today with John Heyer, IRA expert and presenter at the 2018 Real Estate Investing Summit, which hopefully you guys signed up for the Fund Drive a few weeks ago. Uh, it is, um, it's just wow. There's a lot of, a lot of great speakers, John included. You can get more information about it actually at wmkvfm.org if you if you miss that and you go, what is all the excitement about? All the excitement's about a thousand fellow real estate investors and fifteen amazing experts and topics topics that 
I don't care if you are brand new or you've been around the block a million times, you're going to find something there that is going to teach you something that's going to make you money. So, um, John, uh, is the number of cases around IRAs accelerating or am I imagining things? It's accelerating. The IRS has finally figured out what people are doing. I'll tell you what brought attention to it. Mitt Romney had about 20 to 100 million in his SEP IRA. He was super aggressive and way ahead of his time. And that got attention and they're looking more closely at it. So we have seen recently a fair amount of case law. It's good in that it's starting to give us some guidelines. Mm -hmm. Yes, guidelines would be awesome in this arena because I know you spend a lot of your time saying things like, well, there hasn't really been a case about this, but I'm theorizing based on my extensive knowledge of how these agents think that this is what would happen if you did this. And nobody wants to be the person who has a, the case law decided on their retirement plan. But once we once we have decisions, it's nice to be able to have something to follow. So uh, I know there have been some there have been some that were, there were pretty positive. Can you talk about some of those? There was a wealthy family up in Cleveland that had a special kind of entity owned by their IRA called a DISC. It's a, for, for exporting foreign things. You send, if you sell something somewhere foreign, you get a special tax break. Their IRA owned one of those, and they fed it business from their outside entities. Normally, that would be a no-no. They got away with it. And what the court said, so even for the investors who don't use this fancy entity, most of you will never hear of it again, nor should you. But there were a lot of holdings in that case that were generally very positive to taxpayers in general, saying that Roth IRAs were designed for tax avoidance. And if the IRS doesn't like tax avoidance in Roth IRAs, then they should go talk to Congress and change the law, <laughs> but that the courts aren't going to disallow things just because the IRS dislikes them. And by the way, now, so that tax court case was against the taxpayer. It was for various reasons appealed to two circuits, the Sixth Circuit and the First Circuit. Both of them ruled in favor of the taxpayer, strongly so. And a lot of language we're going to use in the future against the IRS. So those were really positive cases. Good. That's yeah. That's not that's not necessarily the way we expect things to go when it comes to situations where the IRS could collect a bunch of taxes if it goes in their direction. So uh, yes, uh, uh, very good. Um, can we talk a little bit? Because I know you you you're a big chunk of your business right now. Uh, a big chunk is advising people about how not to get in trouble. The other chunk is when people don't ask your advice, actually going to court with them and trying to save the situation as best you can. Can you describe, first of all, how people get caught? Because I, I think a lot of folks believe that they can do whatever they want because the IRS isn't paying attention. I can go swing a hammer. How are they, how are they ever going to find out? I'll just make this loan to my son for a week and it'll come back to my IRA and nobody will ever know. How, how do people typically get caught with these things? If they don't get audited, they probably won't get caught. Audit rates are pretty low, and that's what people count on. But once you get audited, they can look fairly deeply. I'll give you an example. I've taken now two cases, IRA cases, all the way to tax court, one both of them. And in one of them, the IRS agent actually contacted. We had a gentleman who had an IRA. The IRA owned a trust, and the trust did a whole bunch of deals. It did rentals and flips and hard money lending, and God only knows what else he had in there. He had a ton. He was very aggressive. The IRS agent actually contacted the trustee and the manager of the properties and several contractors and asked, 
who does what? What does the taxpayer do? What do you do? And those guys are terrified of the IRS like any normal human. So, of course, they sing like little birds. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I had no idea that, that that went on. And that's that's kind of scary. But I guess if I were the IRS, that is what I would expect. If you do get audited, like, what is the process? Is it is it face-to-face meetings? Is it just with the agents? Is it in court? What, what happens? All right. So in an audit... It doesn't have to be face-to-face. They cannot force you to appear. That's a judgment call on the part of the lawyer. Do you want me to appear without you, or are you willing to appear? And it usually is my judgment talking to the taxpayer of, are you a good witness or are you a really bad witness? Um, Are you the kind of person that will deal with this well? So we, we are all over the board on that. Most audits are about numbers and records and receipts. And once they discover that Usually in the beginning, we determine if the audit's going to get big. If you hit it in the beginning and you've got the numbers and you can prove the three or four questions they ask, they tend to go away. If, on the other hand, you clearly are out of your depth and you can't answer the questions, they figure there's money, and then they go for it. Now, understand, once let's say an audit goes bad, suing the IRS is very cheap and very easy. The tax court is very special. I wish we had it for every bureaucracy, a Department of Labor court, an EPA court, et cetera. The tax court, it's a $60 filing fee. Of course, you need a lawyer to represent you, um, but it's not nearly as expensive as you think. I do these on contingency all the time. So going to tax court, it's always the taxpayer who sues. The IRS never takes you to tax court. You sue them and say the audit was bogus, and 97% of the time, those cases settle. If you have some inkling of correctness, if if the suit is a little bit gray, they're probably going to settle because they want the black and white suits to take to court. So we've had a great success rate, both with IRAs and also other real estate investor-related items, of getting taxpayer settlements that they often didn't deserve because the IRS did not want to go to trial. Interesting. So it it, it can end up being a multi-step process. Um, For how long... Do your clients usually have to suffer knowing that things could go very, very badly for them? I mean, is it, is it a two-month process? Is it a year-long process? Oh, it's, it's years. I mean, the, an audit can go anywhere from a month to two years, and I'd say the average is typically about seven months. And then the tax court itself is, a, is typically about a year. We always try the cases in Columbus so the clients don't have to uh, pay me to fly anywhere. And since we almost always settle, the client doesn't have to come to Columbus, and they are heard here once a year. So typically, the ta- once we sue in tax court, it's up to a year to the trial, but usually we settle way before, um, typical six months. So let's say the norm is an audit is seven months, tax court's anywhere from six months to a year, so about 18 months, about normal. That's a long time to have sleepless nights. I, I don't know why I feel, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I feel so well, obligated to 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 Keep, impress upon people how badly they do not want this to happen to them? <laughs> well, if you have good records, the audits tend to end very quickly, A. B, it's not sleepless nights. You're not, look, you're not going to jail. The only way you go to jail is if you lie. If you don't lie, if you don't omit income or you don't manufacture deductions, there's no prison time involved. So as much as unpleasant as this is, it's X number of roofs went bad. Right. It's a money thing. That's all it is. And I know I understand, you know, cutting a check's no fun if you have to. But do you stay awake at night over bad roof or four bad roofs? 
Mm-hmm. If you don't, then don't stay awake over this. 99.9% of the time, it's a money issue. That's it. Good perspective. Nonetheless, we want to do everything we can not to end up in tax court. And if we do, to make sure that everything we're doing is like completely by the book. So if somebody is, because most people don't have the depth of knowledge about IRAs that the IRS does, for instance, if so, if there's somebody out there thinking, I've got this deal, but now I'm not 100% sure what to do with it, what what resources do you recommend for people to, to kind of make sure it's right before they pull the trigger? Well, I'm a little biased in that respect. I recommend they call me, but that's a very self-serving answer. <laughs> It's it's also a very accurate and good answer. There are frankly very few people who do what I do. It does help if you get some education ahead of time. The various workshops, the various credible courses and books out there, some of the custodians do a decent job of educating, but do understand the custodian, it's not their job to advise you, and it's not their job to protect you. People I hear all the time, well, my custodian told me I could do it. That is perfectly meaningless. Uh, if you look at the paperwork, they absolve themselves of all guilt for anything they do or don't do. So it's really about doing your homework, getting the education, and finding good counsel. And and let me add to that that there's a lot of bad counsel available. Oh, my gosh. The Internet is rife with, especially when it comes to so-called checkbook LLCs, the Internet is rife with IRA garbage from people who have no clue what they are doing. Yes, very true. And and I've even heard I've heard bad advice given in seminars. I've heard bad advice given between individuals, right? Because there's always in in every RIA group there's always one guy who everybody sort of looks to as the expert. But if he's not an actual expert who studied the law, he can have incorrect assumptions about or he could be doing things wrong and not even know it and then he's giving you advice on how to do things wrong so so many professionals don't do their homework they really don't they guess or they make it up let me tell you what i do that few people do i fly to washington dc i go to the u.s tax court i pay 50 cents a page and i don't just look at the case i look at the background behind the case i pull the briefs that the irs lawyer wrote I pulled a cross-examination transcript. What were the questions? For example, the Summa case. I pulled the whole case. It was the size of a shopping cart. I looked at the tax returns, the transcripts, the cross-examination, the briefs, everything. That's doing your homework. You got Your professional has to be on it. Add to it that I've been in the audits and been the tax court. If you don't do all those things, then I think your opinion is somewhat qualified. <laughs> You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to John Heyer, attorney at law and also an IRA expert. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to our favorite IRA expert, John Heyer, about uh, what's going on in the IRA world and things that you should avoid. And, um, you know, one of the reasons to come to his one day workshop at the National Real Estate Strategy Summit is uh, so that you can hear beyond the rules and actually get to hear some of the good stuff that's going on and some of the stuff that you can do. Uh, but I'm going to have to leave that for his all day session because we don't have all day. Um, John, as I, as we were, as we were talking before, I, I, it occurred to me that I had a question within the last week from an investor 
who said, um, I did this deal and blah, blah, blah. And about halfway through the discussion, I realized that what they probably had a prohibited transaction. And I told him to call you, but for other people who, who might be sitting here going, oh my God, I've already, I've already done the thing that he just said not to do in my IRA. What's the, what's the fix? There, there isn't a fix. Once you've done one, you've done one. But here's how we, we get this all the time. Here's how we advise people. A, don't tell your accountant unless you want it on your return. Because once the accountant learns of it, the accountant has to put it on the return. If you talk to me, I don't sign your return. I can tell you what to do. You don't have to listen to me. So the first thing we determine is, is it a black and white slam dunk prohibited transaction? If it is, I have to advise you to report it. Now, whether or not you choose to do so, that's on you. If it's a gray prohibited transaction, and that's where the judgment comes in, if it's gray, like a services one, I'm probably going to tell you it's gray, don't report it, but stop doing that. And by the way, one of the recent cases that came out said that the statute of limitations for prohibited transactions is now six years, and that's a good case. So if it's gray, you got to wait six years. If it's black and white, you're supposed to report it. Decide if you do it or not. I can't force you to do it, but your CPA can. Would you recommend that that person not do a bunch more transactions in that same IRA if he thought he was sitting on a prohibited transaction? You know, if it's black and white, I might hesitate to do more in that IRA. If it's gray, I probably would keep doing transactions. Uh, But if you want to be conservative, you set up a new IRA and make all contributions in the future to it and stop putting more money into the one that might be tainted. Mm -hmm. Now, early in the program, you mentioned UBIT. And it, that's an important discussion for the folks out there who are thinking, ooh, this will be cool. I will buy, fix, and sell houses in my IRA, or I will option notes and sell the options in my IRA. Can you talk a little bit about UBIT? Yeah, UBIT is a fancy tax term that stands for IRA tax. And you say IRA tax, IRAs are tax-free. Well, yeah, except when they're not. The two big things that cause UBIT are borrowing in an IRA or running a trade or business that's continuous in there. So can you do one or two flips? Yeah. Can you do six a year for 10 years? Oh, heck no. I mean, you can do it, but then you pay this tax. Now, if you do have a business in your IRA, because some people choose to do it deliberately because it makes so much money, they're willing to pay the tax. The new tax law gave us something called a blocker corporation. We're going to talk about that at OREA, a blocker corporation that cuts about 40% of the UBIT tax. So there are ways to reduce it, and in some cases, there are ways to avoid it. Uh, We're going to talk at OREA, for example, about what performing notes, a.k.a. shared appreciation mortgages, that are one way to avoid UBIT altogether. But be aware, it's a high tax, 37% plus the state rate, and if your IRA borrows or runs what's called a continuous trader business, which is kind of gray, what what that is, then you're going to be paying tax at a pretty high rate. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that at all now? Because that's <laughs> that's a, that that's an interesting thing, and you were telling me a you're telling me a story before we went on the air about a client that had set things up in such a way that yeah he paid the tax but he wasn't paying the big tax. Oh, this is wonderful. This is one of my favorite success stories. The guy does enough flips, by which I mean he buys, rehabs, and sells. He probably makes two or three million a year on these. Pays thirty seven percent tax outside of his IRA. We had him set up a corporation, so 21% tax rate. That's 16 points better than 37%. 21% rate, it was 100% owned by his Roth 401k. What does that mean? That the corporate income is only taxed once, 
There's not the famous double tax on the corporation. So he put roughly half of his flips through that corporation. So he cut his tax rate from 37% to 21% and is feeding hundreds of thousands of dollars a year legally into his Roth 401k, where it will not be taxed again for two generations. Whoa. Whoa. Wait a minute. (laughs) So, so I think, I think, Listeners are going to be thinking because I'm thinking, how is a guy doing something that's that hands-on? I mean, well, you, there you, are two <laughs> approaches. There are two approaches to it. Um, you can either do what's called a ROBS, a rollover business startup, and you are actually allowed. It's an exception to the rules where you are allowed to be hands-on, or you take another approach, which is what this gentleman chose to do. He has a large staff. He split the staff in half. The staff does everything in the C-Corp. All he does is approve deals, which you're allowed to do. So all he does is approve deals. He is not at all hands-on. Someone else is hands-on. That's amazing. So so basically everything runs through the corporate, but paychecks would come everything. out of the corporation's profits before the profits were turned over to the 401k. Indeed. And the houses would be bought by the corporation. So there's not, there's not in, in, in most IRA deals, there's money flowing out of the IRA before it flows back in. The IRA has to buy the house before it can be rehabbed and sold and money can come back in. But it sounds like he's got it all set up so that all of that stuff is coming from the corporation. His IRA funded the corporation with a high five-figure number. So it wasn't even a six-figure funding amount. Everything else is borrowed with hard money loans the way rehabbers normally do inside the corporation. Wow. So um, we've got some listeners who are now sitting on the edge of their seats saying, oh, my gosh, I I need to know all about that. And unfortunately, we're out of time. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to say again, the guy's name's John Heyer. He's in Columbus, Ohio. He's also going to be at the uh, 2018 National Real Estate Investing Summit here in Cincinnati on November 1 through 4. It's cheap to get in. You can even make a pledge to WMKV to do that. Just go to WMKVFM dot org uh any final 30 second thoughts john it's your money you did build that come to john and we will teach you how to keep it (laughs) very very good we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial real estate to financial independence through real estate investing see that 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 last deal he talked about just just blew me away so much that I can't say the thing that I've been saying at the end of every show for 20 years. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 